This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the Tuscan Psychiatric Institute. The Tuscan Psychiatric Institute. We'll be in there fighting just as long as you are. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And this week, it's all about exorcisms with 1977's Exorcist 2, The Heretic, and looking back in the prequel series 2004's Exorcist, The Beginning. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. Paris Hilton's on-screen demise was the primary draw for what 2005 remake? House of Wax. That's right. Ba-doom. All right. Louise Fletcher, who famously played... Nurse Ratchet in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, was originally cast to play which character in Exorcist 2 before that character was written out of the story? Her mom. That's exactly right. She looks a lot like her. She looks a lot like Ellen Burstyn, who originally played the mother in The Exorcist, but Ellen Burstyn refused to sign on. And so they ended up casting Louise Fletcher... And then they decided to cast her instead in the role of Dr. Jean Tuscan, who was apparently originally a male character that they rewrote as female for Louise Fletcher. And then when they didn't have a parent figure in Reagan's life, they brought back Kitty Wynn as uh, Sharon Spencer, the nanny, I guess you could call her. Kind of. Yeah, because... Linda Blair was like 17 or 18 by the time this movie came out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so she would have, you know, with her mother away shooting in Hollywood or something like that, she needed somebody to watch her, and that was Kitty Wynn. And Louise Fletcher became Dr. Jean Tuscan. Good guess. That was nice. Yeah, I know. She very much so looks like Ellen Burstyn. That leads us right into our first film, which is 1977's Exorcist II, The Heretic, based on characters created by William Peter Blatty, written by William Goodhart, and directed by John Borman. And there's also uncredited writing and directing by Rospo Pallenberg. Doesn't say exactly what, but he has a lot of material that has to do with the Vatican and stuff like that. So maybe he was a consultant or something on the church. I don't. I can't say for certain. Starring Richard Burton, Richard Burton, Linda Blair, Louise Fletcher, like we said, Max von Sydow came back. Yeah. Kitty Wynn and James Earl Jones. Now, most of the original cast was completely opposed to doing this, but obviously Linda Blair, Max von Sydow and Kitty Wynn all came back. Linda Blair had apparently turned down the role just like Ellen Burstyn did, but then they gave her a script that she actually liked and decided to do it. And then she said by the time she actually got in and she was contracted and everything, they had gone through so many rewrites that it wasn't the same movie she signed on for anymore. And she was very disappointed in the script that she actually had to perform. So that's fun. Yeah. 
What is Exorcist II The Heretic about? It's just revisiting Reagan now that Reagan's older. And it's basically like it delves into why Pazuzu picked her. It tells you the story of who Pazuzu is. And it's, I gotta just, say, it's just another uh, priest take like helping her again, basically. Right. I, I mean, I got to say that. I'm not totally turned off by the idea of a backstory for Pazuzu. I do not think it's necessary, but I'm not totally turned off by it. What upsets me a little bit is that it totally rewrites the ending of the first movie to where nothing they did mattered. Right. Which is a little bothersome. Yes. It's a it's a little bit of a bummer, but oh well. Uh, yeah, they you- basically act like once the other priest died... It went right back went, into Reagan yep. and went into hibernation or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can rent the movie for $3 or buy it for 8 on, you know, the major services. Should people watch Exorcist Two: The Heretic? Not at all. Not at all. No. Absolutely not. This was another garbage week, guys. And remember how I described it? I, You know what? I think you might have had... I can't remember if I, if I edited it into the outtakes at the end of the episode or if I left it in the episode... Where I said, oh, I'm going to put on my magic hat that lets me see into your dreams. Oh, this is my psychic helmet that I put on and I can see into your dreams. <laughs> that's the plot of The Exorcist 2. I'm sorry, what? And yes, that's pretty much it. And kind I of, I cannot believe that that's where they took this. It's almost like they're like, well, what if we brought science into the mix and, you know, melded science and spirituality? And that's interesting. And I could see... Or they may have had good intentions, but they totally did not pull it off. So, do not watch this movie. Nope. M- maybe, maybe for comedy's sake. Wasn't funny. It's boring. I wrote so many times. This movie is so boring. But when you first see the machine that they use, you like. I cannot believe this. Yes, like <laughs> at least the cell. Has some, they say some shit that kind of makes it sound like maybe it could be real. And it doesn't look nearly as ridiculous. This just looks like a fucking, it is, it's just a fucking strobe light. That they're right. just like, doom, but at doom, least, doom, and you're just like, ah, uh, how's this doing anything? At least in the cell, they were, they were somewhere specific. They were in the subconscious of a specific person. In this movie, they go down and they, they, what are they? They lower their tone as they refer yes, to it. Yes, and once you've done it with the machine, you can do it without the machine. Yeah, but that's and not my can, problem. And you can do it across countries. I have a problem no, with no, that. No, no, I know, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the first time they use it is to go under into Reagan's psyche, into her memories, into her lived experiences. And then once the doctor goes in there, they just completely remove Reagan from the equation. And now the priest can go in there and join the doctor in Reagan's psyche. And she's not like it's a place where you go outside of her brain. And that's weird. Yeah, the, the the science makes zero sense, and this movie is a gigantic mess. It's almost like going into limbo in Inception, right? Where you're not, like, in that person's dreams. You're just in this, like, vague other world, other realm underneath dreams. It's almost like that. It's just weird. You ever think about that in Inception? 
either that's the case where you're in like this just bottom layer of, of the dream world and it doesn't matter whose dreams you're in or you're just trapped in a single person's dream several layers deep for however long. <laughs> yes. Anyway, not talking about Inception. We're talking about Exorcist 2, The Heretic. You can take our advice or leave it. But when we get back, we will talk about Exorcist 2, The Heretic. In 1974... A motion picture shocked the world. It has become one of the most acclaimed and successful films in history. The Exorcist is a classic in its own time. And now, Warner Brothers takes you a step beyond. Exorcist 2, The Heretic. Linda Blair, Richard Burton, Louise Fletcher, Max von Sydow, James Earl Jones, their minds locked together with the most terrifying vision of all. Exorcist 2, The Heretic. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Exorcist 2, The Heretic begin? Terribly. (laughs) There is a long sequence where it's like pitch black and there's like just a woman like, I don't want to be insensitive. Like it's probably, I'm sure that her, what she's doing has something to do with their culture. But when you're just... Sitting there in darkness, letting, listening to a woman wail and scream. It's very weird. Yes. And it's not... I, I, I don't think it's supposed to be pleasant. I think it's supposed to put you in a sort of unsettling place. It's not unsettling. I'm just sitting there like, why? (laughs) Why am I watching this? So we get to see who? We finally get to see a a large group of women who I think are Spanish, I think. I don't remember. Is it Marin? Because they're praying for Marin. No, no, no. It's Richard Burton. So right away we get Richard Burton and he prays to Marin because he's about to perform an exorcism. Yes. As if Marin is now the patron saint of exorcisms. If Which you remember is definitely when we, not. Right. When we talked about the first movie, how, like, exorcisms just were not done ever, and it was so rare, and that's why it's such a big deal in, in The Exorcist. And yet, by the time we get through all these movies, like, it's just like a normal occurrence. Marin has done two or three different exorcisms by the time the first movie comes around. And, like, you know what I mean? They just completely rewrite history with some of these movies. And now, now Richard Burton's doing them. Yes. He's not quite as kindly as Sideout was. Yeah. Like, he yells, silencio, at everyone. <laughs> and the woman that is being possessed shouts at him, why me? I heal the sick. And as soon as she said that, I knew exactly the point that they were going to make with this film. Like, it couldn't have been more fucking obvious. That the kind are targeted. Yes. Yes. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, so what? 
Fucking Reagan is just this beam of innocence right. and hope and goodness. This one little girl who is pretty unremarkable. Pretty unremarkable, yes. Like not like a bitch exorcist, or anything, but right. she was just a regular average girl. Uh-huh. Now they're rewriting history and saying that she has some great I don't know if it's I, maybe it's the power that they have because we find out later that she has kind of a healing power, but she absolutely hadn't realized that power in the first movie. Yeah. And they only kind of brush against it in this movie, too. Yeah. That she has this healing power. Mm-hmm. So the girl ends up t- lighting herself on fire. She doesn't. She just catches fire. No, she lights herself on fire. When? In I thought she movie. just went up in flames. No, she. I'm pretty sure she lights herself on fire. Oh, well, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's an interesting shot, because at first she's laughing, and then it's not till the very end that she finally starts to scream. Mm-hmm. And then tap dancing! <laughs> Okay, so I thought, and I think you thought as well, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that it's almost like young Linda Blair was in movies as a child, probably one of those kids who learned tap dancing, took tap dancing class. Oh, I took jazz and tap and hip hop or whatever, right? (laughs) As if that was somehow going to help her in her acting career. And now they just needed to, oh, you can tap dance? We'll put it in the movie. No, she had to learn tap dancing for this movie. For the two scenes? Yes. And she hated it. <laughs> and it's totally stupid that it's in this movie. It's so stupid and pointless. <laughs> you, literally, there's two scenes, and one of them is kind of similar to what happens in Suspiria. She's, like, getting knocked around while yeah, she's dancing. Uh-huh. It's not yep. nearly as cool. It's not nearly as interesting. Yep. And it lasts for, like, two seconds, and you're wondering why did she need to be tap dancing? And there, yeah, there are no co- consequences for the fact that she's in public or whatever right. when this happens. So why did it need to be tap dancing? So then she goes to see her fucking therapist, who apparently her mother has entrusted her with legal issues. Yeah, apparently. This is Louise Fletcher, Nurse Ratchet, who plays Dr. Jean. She works in, like, the coolest kid center ever. so cool. It is all these, like, glass rooms that you can see through, and it's all these mentally challenged kids. Yeah, it's like kids with... uh, you know, emotional disorders or learning disabilities or they have autism in some way or another. Or we we weren't quite we weren't quite certain if one of the children was uh deaf or if that was the way they were speaking was a symptom of some other disease or whatever. But yeah, it's just these young kids that have these debilitating issues and it seemed like a great facility. <laughs> if not a little unrealistic for the time period. Sure, yeah. But so Reagan lies through her entire session. She tells her she can't remember anything. And she's like, I don't believe you. She's like, oh, I just had, I just remember I had bad dreams. And because we do learn at the beginning of the, at the end of the first one that she has no memory and she doesn't recall the stuff that's happened. And this is when the doctor is like, well, I have this super cool machine. And she's like, we can dissolve the bad dreams together using the machine. To which Reagan says, I don't think you're ready for it. Meaning that her dreams are that bad. Uh huh. Meanwhile, back at the Vatican, <laughs> <laughs> Father Lamont is talking to the Pope. The Cardinal. Oh, the Cardinal? <laughs> yes, the Cardinal. Paul Heinrich, who was Victor Laszlo in Casablanca. This was the last movie he ever filmed. How sad. 
But so he's talking to the Cardinal, and the Cardinal explains that Marin's name is being besmirched and ruined amongst the amongst the the church. And Lamont has the I'm struggling with my faith, Tom, moment. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've lost my faith, Tom. And he explains that everywhere he looks, he thinks he sees evil. God has gone silent. To which the Cardinal reminds him, you are a soldier of Christ. And I need you to clear Marin's name. I want you to go and talk to the girl that he last saw. And yeah. I, I want... I want you to get information. I don't know if he's really clear on what he's supposed he's to do. He's not, which is especially weird. The second time we see the Cardinal, and he's like, oh, I didn't want you to get involved. Like, what did you want? Did you want me to investigate or not? Yeah. So he goes to see Nurse Ratchet. Mm-hmm. And it happens to be the same day that Reagan is there. Of course, the doctor is like, I don't believe in this religion hoodoo nonsense. <laughs> Uh, I believe the exorcism only made everything worse. Uh-huh. He's like, look, I just need to talk to her. And she's like, I can't let you question her because it could be too shocking. She could commit suicide. It's very Nurse Ratchet. Yeah. Uh-huh. Very same, like, no, we need to do things my way. And if we don't do them my way, then they're not correct. Yes. Except for the fact that she does legitimately seem like she has the best interests of the True. patient at heart here. Whereas in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest... She has a, like, a control problem. She has her own yeah. self-interests uh-huh. that are causing her to not do her job the best she but can. It all, it, yeah, but also partially in that movie, it's it's like, it's because she does think she knows best. Uh, yes, she does she, think she's helping people. Exactly, but that she gets things totally wrong and she ends up harming them ultimately. But this isn't that. She, she legitimately does have her best interests at heart and is trying to do what's best for her. And... You know, if you were to take out the whole fact that she's possessed by a demon, what she's saying is probably the best course of action. (laughs) But we all know that there is a demon, so maybe not. But when she tells him you can't speak to her, Reagan comes into the room and is like, I'm so glad that the father is here. Why don't we do the dream machine with the father in the room? Yeah, uh-huh. And that's when... she's like, fine, okay. Well, she says... Come back tomorrow. We'll oh, do she it tomorrow. does. You're yeah. right. You're uh-huh. right. Yeah. And she agrees. When we see them use the machine for the first time, it's a really mean <sighs> shot. It's a really, really mean shot. She she's trying to show that she's like going under, but she does the whole eye roll thing yeah. and it doesn't look good. But she also has this really intense look on her face, and it's probably the one shot that's used in like all of the marketing for yes. this movie. It's a bad shot. No, no, not the eyes rolling back, just where she's looking at you. Uh, That's not bad. And she's just like this straight-faced, I think she looks absolutely beautiful here. But then she does that whole eye roll thing, and it's like, ooh. (laughs) (laughs) And oh my god, does this scene go on for way too long. I was just like, who thought this was entertaining? It had the opportunity to be compelling. And it was just too silly to be compelling. The way that they slow down the entire pace of the movie to match the pace of the tone. And as to they walk put it. you through every step of right. getting her under. It's just like, no, the audience doesn't need to see all no, this. But if it was just more interesting and it wasn't so ridiculous, that sort of just 
let's all take a moment. It would have been like a hypnotism scene in a movie. Like, you know, sometimes that wraps you up even further in it. This, but it needs to be done right. Yeah, this did not do it right. It, it was is, it was so ridiculous what we were looking at on yes. screen. So basically they put the, this electrode crown around your head and then you get a strobe light and somehow that strobe light is representing your tone, which is your brainwave frequency. And then you get sort of semi-hypnotized reducing your, your brainwaves and it slows down the sound and the flashing of the strobe light until it gets so slow that you're finally, you've been put under. And then the other participant, in this case, Louis Fletcher, does the same thing, and she can join you. So, here's the question. Is the machine with the strobe light and the sound a sensor that's monitoring your brainwaves, or is it controlling them in some way? Because the movie seems to think it's doing both. Yes. It's very unclear about how this works, and not in a cool sort of inception sort of way where we have a dream machine and we're just not going to explain it because it's just so simple and they just get it over with you know <laughs> like it doesn't matter we're not going to talk about it just accept the fact that this is the way it works no we have to sit and stew with this machine for a long time and think what the fuck is this thing and it's not like we're going to go into the psyche and see what they see this is not an excuse for really cool imagery we no. get flashes we don't get like subconscious flashes we get flashes of flashbacks we get to see a locust flying we get to see oh my god uh, yeah uh -huh, a really bad puppet locust flying a terrible puppet locust flying uh -huh. and we will watch that guys several times and not for like a quick moment yeah it, it will sit on this puppet and you're just sitting there like oh my god people watched this in a movie theater yeah as as Jack Black says in Tenacious D, uh, for, God damn it, I forget the name of the song. Uh, we've soared on on the wings of a demon. He has soared on the wings of a demon. That phrase effectively will be used here in this movie. This is what they're talking about. The wings of this demon is Pazuzu in the form of this locust. Yes. And, like, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay. So remember, so Chris says, oh, we do get to see things. We get to see like a flashback. It is told in the most boring, flat possible way. It is literally just an image that is sometimes overlaid on top of them. Yeah. Of Max von Sydow in the moment where we, none of us got to see in the original Exorcist dying because the demon caused him to have a heart attack, which I'm sitting there like, wait, so you're not giving us any new information? He did just have a heart attack? Why are we watching this? Oh, so that we can watch one version of Reagan, the good version, and one version of Reagan, the bad version, which is not even her, which I'm sure is because she didn't want to put on the makeup. That's exactly what it was. And shout out to Chickapedia. She did mention that on Twitter, but we did already know about that. Yes. We get to watch the two of them groping Nurse Ratchet. Yeah, yeah. They're supposed to be groping her heart, but it looks like two young women just grabbing just at groping this woman's her breast. Boob. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> so poorly put together. I don't know what they were fucking thinking. So, what's happened here is that Louise Fletcher, Dr. Jean, is starting to like have seize a heart up. Attack. She's starting to have a heart attack. And so they try to shut it down and they let Reagan out. The nurse lets Reagan out 
and is like, oh, God, we got to get Gene out of there. And the fucking priest who is qualified how has never experienced this before is like, I'll do it. And he puts on the, the crown and he goes under and the, the nurse is like, OK, and just guides him through the proce- process of going under. Now, remember, they're supposed to be in Reagan's psyche here. Yeah, again, this seems very similar to the cell. But remember that in the cell, they never left his his mind. Yes, exactly. So now Reagan's not even a factor in this anymore. She's gotten up. She's been detached. <laughs> and now the priest is going in under to Reagan's psyche, I guess. And now he gets to see the memory that she's trapped in. And he gets to see how Father Marin died, um, which is because he was given a heart attack by Pazuzu. It's exactly what we thought it was from the first movie. It's not any new revelatory information or anything like that. And then he's able to, I guess because he's connected to her, he's able to speak to Dr. Jean and talk her out of the hypnotism and then bring her back up, bring her tone up. You remember all he has to say to stop evil Reagan from giving her a heart attack? No. In God's name! (laughs) That did it. Yeah. Sometimes they just repeat some stuff, and that's all it takes. Isn't it amazing how much weaker the demon got in consider in in comparison to the the prequel? Well, if you consider, <laughs> yeah, oh, that's a that's kind of a good point. But I mean, he's just been worn down so many times by these priests. You also have to consider that in this exact moment, Pazuzu was effectively traveling through time, kind of. Twice. He's going from Reagan now into the past and then from the past into Dr. Gene. Like, anyway, in the it, present. So, none yeah. of it makes sense. It doesn't sense. make sense. It is all garbage. But when they come out of it, it's important to say that the, the priest tells the doctor that she won't remember it. I forget why they don't want her to Reagan remember. asks her to. That's what they say to Reagan when she goes under is just like, you know, when you hypnotize somebody, you don't want them to be traumatized by the stuff they're recalling. So you tell them, you know, you're, you don't remember this when I, when you wake up, you will have forgotten everything that happened here. And so Reagan out of concern for Dr. Jean tells Lamont to tell her she won't remember any of this. But what's interesting is Lamont doesn't forget. So as soon as he's out of it, what does he see when he looks at Reagan? Pazuzu. Yeah. He sees the evil version of uh-huh. Reagan. So he's like, oh, she's still possessed. Yeah. And then Reagan goes into the room where the bunch of kids are, you know, because remember, it's that big, cool center for kids with disease with mental disabilities. And she she comes across a girl that's drawing something and she's like, oh, I'll draw something for you. What do you draw? And the little girl says a house. And she goes, why would I draw something as dull as a house? Here, I'll draw you a face. And then what does she draw? (laughs) She draws Lamont. On fucking fire. on fire. (laughs) And oh my God, some lady who works there is like, the nurse. Hey, priest. Uh, Look, you should see this. She drew you. And he's like, uh, what? And she's like, isn't she a good artist? And you're like, what? But immediately Lamont's like, she can see the future. Yes. What? How do you get what? Yes. And that will never come into play again. But all of a sudden there's a fire. Yes. That he needs to go and put out. And I love that they ran by the fire extinguisher and she Uh decides to call the police first before grabbing their fire fire extinguisher. 
Uh, I mean, they're fi- they're fine. Everything's yeah, fine. Yeah, it's fine. But the fire was really, really small. But it spontaneously burst in this box full of stuff. And as Jean is getting the fire extinguisher, she turns and she looks, or maybe it's the nurse, I don't remember, turns and looks at Lamont, who's trying to put out the fire with a blanket, and she sees that the stuff on fire behind him matches the pattern of the fire in the drawing. Does it? That Reagan did, yes. That's why I wrote down, what was that look she gave him? <laughs> uh-huh. I had no idea that that's what happened. <laughs> she just gives her a really weird look. After which they have a conversation and he's like, you don't know the importance of your work. And she's like, I don't want any of your religious mumbo jumbo. This is science. <laughs> We get to see, like... It's so hard to keep track of the plot at this point. He has a dream of a plague in Africa. Yeah, so he sees this kid who's fighting off locusts. He's like another sort of healer. And then he gets possessed. And then Max von Sydow brings him up to this holy place? Is that what happens? Yeah, I mean, that comes later. I don't know if you care. Not really. Okay. Max von Sydow playing... A younger version of Marin, even though he is older, obviously, <laughs> than he was when he played the older version but of Marin. But it Marin. doesn't matter because that makeup effect is so good. Yeah. You forget that that's not how old he really yeah, is. Yeah, he was like, what, in his late, early 40s or something like that? When, but he looks when way he did older. The he looks like yeah. he's in his late 70s. Yeah, so, so now he's just like his normal ass age and he's playing a much younger version. <laughs> and he takes this kid up to this holy site and up these cliffs and performs oh God, an exorcism. Are you going to explain how you have to get up there? Uh, you have to climb, like chimney climb up, you know, with your back up against one side. And Don't and explain how this kid got up there. Yeah. So one of the guides falls. Well, they pulley the kid up there. Oh, did there, they? There's a pulley system. So why they don't just pulley everybody, I don't know. And people <laughs> go up like five people at a time. It can't just be two people. <laughs> it's always five or whatever. One of them falls and they never find the guy. Never in quotes. And then they do this exorcism on this little kid. So Lamont basically learns that Marin did another exorcism. It looks like possibly Pazuzu again, because when Marin asks who it is, he says the name Pazuzu. So he needs to go investigate. He needs to find this kid if he's still alive and this site if he can find it. So that's like Lamont's journey. Meanwhile, we get a weird scene of Reagan also having a nightmare where, like, she wakes up on the edge of her balcony. So there's this weird moment where she sort of walks through the railing. So she has this balcony that's... No, there's a there's a gap in the railing. I know! It's the most ridiculous I thing. I know! And she just hangs out up there? Yes. Are you kidding me? Yes. And there's birds. <laughs> and there's a sculpture of some sort, I think, too. But But this is when Lamont is taken by the nanny to the old house in Washington. She explains, well, Reagan's mother would do anything for Father Marin. That's the only reason I'm taking you here. Yeah. She asks, are they going to turn Father Marin into a saint? And he goes, the world doesn't want saints anymore. Right. And that's probably, I would say very true, but I think there are a couple of people that are on the path to sainthood right now. He asks her questions. He wants to know if the demon knew Marin, and she explains that, yes, he did. He even called out his name. It was as if he was expecting him to come. Mm -hmm. 
And she admits to the father here, I, I quit working for the family after what happened. Mm -hmm. And I tried to stay away for like two years, but I was absolutely tormented. And for some reason, the only time I'm ever at peace is when I'm around Reagan. Uh -huh. That terrifies me. Can you explain that to me? Yeah. And he's like, well, you should probably talk to a priest. And she's like, I thought I was talking to one. He's like, <laughs> what does he say? I'm not here for you. <laughs> Just stone cold. I love it. Stone cold. It's awesome. Finally, I came back and found that when I'm with her is the only time I'm at peace. Why would that be? I can't understand it. It frightens me. Have you tried a psychiatrist or a priest? I'm talking to one now, aren't I? I'm not here for you. Does the doctor hit on Father Marin and say, don't you ever need a man? I mean, a woman, Father? And he says yes. Isn't that in the beginning? Exorcist, the beginning, the, the new one? It is in the beginning. That's why I'm like, I don't even, I kind of remember this. I remember her talking about, because he asks her, like, about her life, and she explains that she's divorced with two children, and that she's incredibly busy at work, and she's very lonely. And I think that's when she says, don't not, you? But it's not Marin, it's Lamont in this one. Yes. Yes. Uh -huh. And she says to Lamont, don't you ever need a woman? Uh -huh. And he says, yes. Do you have children of your own? Yes, I do, too. A boy and a girl. I'd like to spend more time with them. Must be difficult with all your responsibilities here. Not to mention the complications of being divorced. You seem to manage. Your heart is good. It's hard to live alone. Don't you ever need a woman, Father? Yes. Again, another... I think I've lost my faith, Tom, uh -huh. moment. And yes, this will happen in the prequel. And yes, he, Father Marin will fall to temptation. Uh -huh. Apparently, in the book adaptation, they describe the fact that he needed to constantly fight erections when he was around that doctor. <laughs> what a nice little detail. What a nice detail, yes. That's for the beginning. We haven't discussed that yet. Okay, this next scene, I can't even fucking remember exactly what's going on in it, but this is when he learns about the kid, and that's when he just, he starts to realize that great goodness brings great evil. Uh -huh. Evil is drawn to it. I don't know if it's in a dream, or if they're cooked up to the machine, or if he's just hanging out with Reagan. I don't fucking know. But at some point, he talks to Pazuzu. And Pazuzu's like, I'm the king of spirits of the air. And he says it three times, because that's necessary. There's like a huge ton of locusts. And I'm pretty sure he has to be talking to Reagan at some point, because Reagan's the one who always says, come fly the teeth of the wind, yeah, share my uh -huh. wings. It's actually kind of a cool line. This Unfortunately, the... it's being said over a god-awful puppet uh -huh. that you have to stare at for a very long time. Yep. Yep. And then he's like flying along with this puppet and we're just looking at this puppet and then he then he shows up and it's Darth Vader and Darth <laughs> Vader like yells at the insect and then poof, uh -huh. they're not in Africa anymore. So apparently James Earl Jones, who is the grown up version of this kid that Father Marin saved. Kokumo. Kokumo. He has learned how to fight off 
Pazuzu. He has this power now that he's been completely exercised by Father Marin, although for some reason that worked, but Reagan's exorcism didn't work, I guess because Father Marin died before he could finish it, is the oh, explanation just, there? just wait till we get to the next scene with Darth Vader, because I'm going to pick that shit apart. James Earl Jones. <laughs> so, dude goes to Africa to find Kokumo, and he gets jerked around uh, trying to find him. You know, people try to sell him a sex worker and, you know, laugh at him when he's like, oh, no, that's not what I was looking for. And they all laugh. And ah, <laughs> he finally finds his way to James Earl Jones, who is sitting. He has this like locust hood on to when he he looks down. It looks like he has a locust head on. And then there's a pit of spikes between Lamont and him. And he's like, well, if you can make it to me, I will talk to you or whatever. You haven't explained how he got there. Oh, he got there on a plane with Ned Beatty. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, how did he find him? Because he couldn't have found him without... Pazuzu leading him there. Yes, he calls on Pazuzu and yeah. asks for his help. To find him. So he, that's him soaring on the wings of a demon. Actually, I don't know if he does call out for him. That That's way later in the notes. So I don't know if, I don't know if maybe Reagan calls out to him and says, call for me. Call my name. Yeah, I imagine that would be Pazuzu. But anyway, he finds him. There's this pit of spikes. As soon as he steps down, the spikes go right through his foot and he face plants. But there are no spikes. It's just a solid floor. Well, and when he turns that around, happens, what does Darth Vader say to him? He says, how did you find me? The only way you could have found me is if you are in cahoots with Pazuzu. Yeah. I call upon you in the name of Father Lancaster Merrin. How did you find me? I saw you in the mind of a girl who was possessed by Pazuzu. She is still in danger of dreams. How can I help her? Which girl would you help? The one possessed by Pazuzu or the one held by Father Merrin? You must pluck out her evil heart. But Pazuzu has brushed you with his wings. You called on Pazuzu to reach me. You have lost faith in your God. You do not believe. I do believe. I do. I do anything to help Reagan. Anything. Then prove your faith. Cross over. So what I think they're trying to say here is that that part of him that was exercised, that was saved, is kept, like, deep inside of himself. Uh-huh. Because the next part makes no fucking sense. Yeah, so otherwise. like I said, he face plants and he's just on a normal ass floor and a dude's like, hey, are you okay? And when he turns around, he looks up and it's James Earl Jones and he's in, like, a lab coat. And, and James Earl Jones isn't like, what the fuck are you doing here? He's yeah, just like, he's hey, like, dude. Hey, you need some help up? <laughs> and they're just right into a conversation about how James Earl Jones is a scientist and he studies locusts, which are basically just another form of grasshoppers who uh, swarm. Grasshoppers are generally solitary creatures. And when they gr gather together and they swarm, that's when uh, basically they all get excited and they devour things, including each other. And it, the reason they get excited is because they get 
touched, they get brushed by the by the wings of the locusts around them, and that gets them all worked up, and then all of a sudden it's like a chain reaction, and they all go fucking crazy. And then James Earl Jones explains that, oh, there is this one lady locust that is like... We've developed. Yeah, we've developed her, and she's good at soothing the locusts and calming them back down again until they turn back into grasshoppers. Okay. Sure. It's a good locust, basically. <laughs> yes, the good locust is what basically they refer to what it they're as. saying is you can have a character like Lamont, who is really good but has to fraternize with the evil well, yeah. to make everything better for everyone else. Yes, but the good locust is actually Reagan. He just has this new knowledge of the good locust. Whatever. Reagan fixes an autistic kid. She gets her to talk. Oh my god. That happens. That feels so exploitative. It is. <laughs> it absolutely is. Like Jesus. But the point is, is that she has the power to heal. And that explains to Lamont why Pazuzu is attracted to her. Just like... James Earl Jones, Kokumo as a child, had this power to calm swarms of locusts and prevent them from devouring crops. And just like that woman at the beginning, who was a healer and then was consumed, that's what Pazuzu was attracted to. And that explains why Pazuzu is still attached to Reagan. Yes. Because he was never fully exercised. I'm just going to skip a whole bunch of boring shit. Like, I just kept... <laughs> oh, they steal the machine... What else? They go to Georgetown. Well, okay. What happens when he goes to the place where Father Marin went with the kid? Do you remember? Oh, yeah. There's that whole thing. So it's on his way looking for Kokumo. He goes up there and he talks to this priest at the top of this temple. Who in the, spoke on with the Marin. Yeah, who, who knew Marin. And then he says... You know, well, what happened when they came and the priest is like, oh, well, this one dude fell and then we never found his body. And then he looks down and he's like, oh, he's probably over there. And so they all climb down, every single one of them. And sure enough, they find the body. And he's like, yeah, see, I found him. And the priest is like, oh, shit, you're in dealings with the devil. And then everyone attacks him until his rocks at him until his guide dude is like. You gotta go, man. Which also happens in the be- in the beginning. But when the he throws, yes. But when he throws rocks at him, what happens? Does he have a vision? <laughs> Reagan's tap dancing. <laughs> right, that's the Reagan tap dancing moment <laughs> when he's psychically connected to her now for no reason. <laughs> she's tap dancing, and then she just you know spasms and falls on the floor and uh, has another attack. Uh, Oh, God. Every and time he gets hit with cares. a rock, she collapses. Nobody gives a shit. No, they do. <laughs> Her nanny is like, oh, my God. But yeah, I just, I love when he, they ask him, how did you find us? He's like, I flew with Pazuzu. And I'm like, wrong answer. Yeah, wrong answer, dude. <laughs> how did he know the body was here? He was killed by Pazuzu. Very powerful demon. Pazuzu Milo. Pazuzu? 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 I flew with Pazuzu in the traps. Pazuzu gara, behel berrialo no milo. Ganin. It's difficult to explain. I was under hypnosis. Hibalo. No, Father. Please wait. No, no. Father Abbott, listen to me. 
Say daddy we! Kehari! He will not speak to a devil worshiper! I'm not a devil worshiper! Yeah, so so he has to get away. He goes back. He finds Reagan. The two of them decide that yes, she is still possessed and they need to do something about it. And so against the wishes of both Sharon, the nanny, and Jean, the doctor, Nurse Ratched, they steal the machine and they go running away. This movie just devolves here. Yes. It just is a huge mess and so, I can't make sense of it. So Sharon and Jean, the doctor. And it never ends. It just keeps going and going. They pair up and try to catch up with them. And then there's a series of things which mean they can't do it. But they get on a plane. Meanwhile, Lamont in a trance gets on a train and... Reagan follows him and and then he snaps out of it as soon as she almost gets caught reaching into his pocket like she's going to pickpocket him, whatever. But the point is, they all get there around the same time. And when Lamont and Reagan go into the house, Gene and Sharon get in a taxi and to go to the home. And the taxi driver's like, I don't know about this. And they're like, just go. And on the way, there's a terrible car accident. He crashes into the house and then Sharon goes crazy and sets herself on fire in front of the door to prevent Jean from getting inside and getting to Reagan and Lamont. So apparently she's been partially possessed by Pazuzu. Like she's, I don't know, a subject of Pazuzu or something. Can I read my notes to you? Because they're kind of funny. Yes. I'm going to skip the things that do make sense. I'm just going to write the things that I wrote that were just like, what's going on? What just happened? She belongs to me! I need a doctor! What? The power is immense. Please don't be lost to me. Oh my god, what is this music? He said, the good locust. I'll just see about that, says Nurse Ratchet. Locusts! Father, let me reach you! But now Sharon is possessed? Name it! Let me inside! Be joined with us, Father! He chose me! Sets herself on fire? Question mark? You're mine forever! Resist the wings! Why me? Por qué? Drops Reagan. The locusts are coming! The locusts are coming! Help me, somebody! But why? The house is now falling apart for some reason. Oh my god, Reagan falling down the stairs by Reagan is absolutely hilarious. Okay, you're getting you're getting too far at this point. We haven't <laughs> talked about this yet. I don't know what any of this means. What's going on inside is okay, so they open the door to Reagan's room and there's there's locusts everywhere and and the the window crashes and there's more locusts and really apparently what it is was it's packing peanuts spray painted brown. That they just put into a fan and flew at them because, you know, you wouldn't be able to tell otherwise. Uh, but when they get up there, it's the possessed version of Reagan acting as a sort of succubus, tempting Lamont. And he totally succumbs to her. And he starts, like, necking with her. And Richard Burton, who was older <laughs> at this point, Linda Blair, who was a teenager, he was like... I felt really fucking uncomfortable doing this. But apparently, according to Linda Blair, the two of them got along famously. But also, probably because she was, like, really getting into drugs around this time. 
and she would constantly show up late. Uh, there's a story about that Borman tells that uh, she shows up one day and was proud of the fact that she was only 10 minutes late or whatever, you know. So she was heavily into drugs and Richard Burton was famously a heavy drinker. And as the shoot went on, not just throughout the day, but throughout the length of the shoot, he would just be getting more and more drunk throughout the day. Each day it would get progressively like worse. And so she's high and he's plastered during this entire fucking scene. So she fights herself and then he has to snap out of it. So when you say that her going down the stairs by her, that's what that means. I do remember this. I remember very distinctly she's sitting on the stairs. Normal Reagan is sitting on the stairs. And evil Reagan is falling down the stairs. And I just remember thinking, good God, this movie is such a joke. This is hilarious. So how do they defeat the doppelganger? Do you remember? I wrote, now she's doing what Kakuma did. Yes. I don't know what that means. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so Lamont tears the heart out of the doppelganger. Like, gets on top of her, tears open her her chest, pulls out the heart or whatever, right? But the locusts are still going crazy. So she starts to do that swinging above yes, her head that thing swinging that Kokumo did. That makes no sense. <laughs> well, it's designed to calm the locusts or whatever. That's what got Kokumo possessed, right? But she's already possessed, and apparently she shares that power. Why she was also attractive to Pazuzu, just like Kokumo was. And then the house, like, fucking collapses, and apparently in one edit, we never see Lamont again, and they never explain the fact that, you know, it's just assumed that he's dead. But in this one, they both get out of the house, and now it's Lamont, Jean, who did absolutely fuck all, and Reagan are outside of the house, and it's completely collapsed. And apparently, everything's okay now? At some point, I wrote, oh, my God, when will this end? And then I wrote, because I do remember this, too, uh, Nurse Ratchet is like, I understand now. And I'm like, no, shit, you understand. She says in the big crowd. You just saw the house come apart. You saw demons. And she sticks around, apparently, to answer questions while Lamont and Reagan go walking off. And, like, you know, she still has a mom. Like, she's not an orphan just because Sharon died. Like, you're still her therapist who her mom put in charge of her. (laughs) And you're just letting her walk off with some strange priest in Washington, D.C. That's the end of the fucking movie. And somebody asks her, like, tell us what happened. And I wrote, yes, please tell us what happened. I would like to know how this goes for you. (laughs) That's the end of the movie. Okay, so this is where we get to the good stuff. Good stuff? New York Times review. Given the huge box office success of the William Peter Blatty, William Friedkin production of The Exorcist, there had to be a sequel. But did it have to be this desperate concoction, the main thrust of which is that the original exorcism wasn't all it was cracked up to be? It's one thing to carry a story further along, but it's another to deny the original, no matter what you thought of it. I thought it was something even less than good. But this new film is of such spectacular fatuousness that it makes the first seem virtually an axiom of screen art. The BBC, Mark Kermode, said, Exorcist 2 is demonstrably the worst film ever made. 
It took the greatest film ever made and trashed it in a way that was on one level farcically stupid and on another level absolutely unforgivable. Everyone involved in this, apart from Linda Blair, should be ashamed for all eternity. William Friedkin saw the film. In his words, I was at Technicolor and a guy said, we just finished a print of Exorcist 2. Do you want to have a look at it? And I looked at half an hour of it and I thought it was as bad as seeing a traffic accident in the street. It was horrible. It was just a stupid mess made by a dumb guy, John Borman by name, somebody who should be nameless, but in this case should be named, Scurrilous, a horrible picture. He would go on to say it was one of the worst films I've ever seen, and that film was made by a demented mind. Pauline Kael, who disliked the original because... It abused young children and it exploited young Linda Blair said the film is too cadenced and exotic and too deliriously complicated to succeed with most audiences. And when it opened, there were accounts of people in theaters who threw things at the screen, but it's winged camp, a horror fairy tale gone wild. Another in the long history of movie makers, King size follies. There's enough visual magic in it for a dozen good movies. (laughs) Visual magic. I think what she's saying is that this movie was bad, but it did some things that in another movie would have been impressive. No, 100% disagree. And finally, this is what John Borman had to say about it. The sin I committed was not giving the audience what it wanted in terms of horror. There's this wild beast out there, which is the audience. I created this arena and I just didn't throw enough Christians into it. In another interview, it all comes down to audience expectations The film that I made I saw as a kind of riposte to the ugliness and darkness of The Exorcist. I wanted a film about journeys that was positive, about good, essentially, and I think that audiences in hindsight were right. I denied them what they wanted, and they were pissed off about it. Quite rightly, I knew I wasn't giving them what they wanted, and it was a really foolish choice. It had nothing to do with that. The film itself, I think, is an interesting one. Nope. There's some good work in it. Nope. But when they came to me with it, I told John Cayley, who was running Warner Brothers then, that I didn't want it. Look, I said, I have daughters. I don't want to make a film about torturing a child, which is how I saw the original film, much like Pauline Kael. But then I read a three-page treatment for a sequel written by a man named William Goodhart, and I was really intrigued by it because it was about goodness. I saw it then as a chance to film a riposte to the first picture, but it had one of the most disastrous openings ever. There were riots and we recut the actual prints in the theaters, about six a day. But it didn't help, of course, and I couldn't bear to talk about it or look at it for years. It has absolutely nothing to do with the subject matter. Right. (laughs) Right. The movie's just garbage. It's pretty bad. It is Like, the only thing that's good about it is the acting. And that's just okay. And even then, what they're given to act isn't great. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, it's such a bummer. All right, so Kelsey, with all those reviews in mind, what do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? Okay, if I had to guess, is it zero? It's 15%. Jesus. Hokey mystical effects, lousy plotting, and worse acting directly tarnishes the first's chilling legacy. Metacritic of 39. It says worse acting. <laughs> Do you think 15% is overrated or underrated? Overrated. What would you give it? I would not give this a zero. I'm going to give it a five. You know, I think 15 is is right. 
Why are you giving it that high of a score? Don't you remember the turning and how bad that was just last week? I gave that a 10. This is better than the turning. No. I absolutely think it is. I disagree. I would rather watch the turning than this. I think that this has some camp value that the turning does not. This is so boring. I will never watch this again. I've seen it twice. (laughs) I... I have no reason to watch The Turning ever again. I'm upset that I had to watch it partially for the few clips that we put into last week's episode. Like, this is better than The Turning. I disagree. (laughs) At least The Turning... At least The Turning had some visuals that were interesting to look at. This had nothing. Everything was so boring. It was boring to watch. It was boring to look at. It was boring to pay attention to. I don't know. When they're in Iraq or wherever it is at the beginning of the first Exorcist, it's one of my favorite parts of the movie just because it's so unique. And I love... I it's love, interestingly shot. I love when you take... When you think about Christianity and the impact it had around the world and you end up going to places like the Middle East and Africa like to see the impact that it's had around the world. I I find that intriguing, and I don't know. I like it about this. And the beginning does a similar thing. <laughs> Listen, fifteen is not a good score. <laughs> All right. Anyway, that is Exorcist Two, The Heretic. So the first movie was called The Exorcist, but they had to take the the off of the front, I think, because. All the subtitles to all these start with the, and you don't want the exorcist, the heretic, and the exorcist, the beginning. So instead, it's just exorcist, the heretic, and exorcist, the beginning. But before we get to the next movie, Kelsey, horror trivia. In the 2017 movie Get Out, what technique does the mother use to get her daughter's boyfriend to quit smoking? Hypnotism. Hypnosis. I don't know. If Whatever. If <laughs> I don't know if there's the which one's the appropriate one. I would probably say hypnosis. Anyway, Kelsey, Rennie Harlan was not the first director selected to direct Exorcist: The Beginning. How many directors were signed on before him? Three. Uh, three total. Hmm. It was two. I'll get really into it, but there was Frankenheimer, John Frankenheimer, who signed on originally. And then he was dying, and so he stepped down. And then there was Paul Schrader, who actually filmed an entire movie. And then they hired Rennie Harlan to refilm like 90% of it. I'll get into why that is when we're done with this movie, but I just thought that that was really intriguing. And I want to put that little seed in your mind here that... This is the second time they filmed this movie almost in its entirety. And this is what they got. And I'll tell you right now, they got exactly what they wanted. And that is the movie Exorcist, the beginning from 2004. Directed by Rennie Harlan, the third time around, I guess. Based again on the characters created by William Peter Blatty. Screenplay by Alexi Hawley and story by William Wisher and Caleb Carr. Starring Stellan Skarsgård, Isabella Skoropko, and James Darcy. What is Exorcist Beginning about? It's a prequel, obviously, and it tells the story of Marin before he ever had any contact with Reagan. It's, it's, it tells the story of his first exorcism that he gives. Yeah, so before he even met Pazuzu in the prequel 
storyline portion of The Heretic. That's the second time he met Pazuzu now. We're finding out that he met him once before that. And so he's met Pazuzu three times after we've seen these movies. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like there's the first movie and we have no reason to expect they've ever met before other than the fact that Pazuzu knows things about him. Well, we know that he's performed exorcisms before. They do tell us that in The Exorcist. Yeah, like once or something like yeah, that. They, and it went they, poorly. The or way whatever. that they talk about it, it makes it sound like it happened once. Yeah. But then we see that one in The Heretic, which we just talked about with So Kakumo. that must be Kakumo. Yeah. And now we We're find out, out that, that there was one before, there was one that. before that. You know that little statue he finds in Iraq? That's going to play a big part of this movie. He'll find it and lose it again so he can find it again in the first Exorcist. And not be like, oh my God! He <laughs> yeah. finds it the second time. He's just like, oh, what's In this? the first movie, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah, it's the first time he met Pazuzu. The movie is available for free if you're a sci-fi subscriber. It's $3 through Amazon Fandango and Vudu to rent, or $4 on iTunes, Google, YouTube, and Microsoft. Or you can buy it for $13 on those services. Except for some reason, it's $14 on Vudu. Should you pay any of these amounts to see Exorcist the Beginning? No. Yeah, I think this is equally not good. We told you last week that we went and we knew that this was going to be a bad week, and it was. It's the worst prequel, and it's the worst sequel yes. that we get this week. The next time we do The Exorcist, it will be the best prequel and the best sequel. So be ready for that. This is the shit town right here. Yes. <laughs> do not watch it. Uh, although Stellan Skarsgård does a respectable job in this. Um, uh, He's fine. Yeah. It's more impressive how much he looks like him than anything else. Right. Uh-huh. Um, I'd say he looks like him as much as Louise Fletcher looks like Ellen Burstyn. Yes. They're like, you look at them and you're like, you are definitely the character like they're right. supposed they to be. They cast you because you look like this person. And yes. yeah. Uh-huh. He does a fine job, I guess. But this movie. Oh, my God. Oh, also, plus Nazis. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. It's just. <sighs> This is not what you came for th- to The Exorcist for. Oh, it's also hell of gory. <laughs> not to like the second half. Like the first half, like nothing happens. Well, we also <sighs> shoot children in the head a lot. And yes, that's true. Like Jesus Again, Christ. yes, Nazis. Oh, so, stuff sloughing off of people's faces. But and again, that's the second half of the film. Nothing happens in the first half. Yeah, the very first scene, you see a bunch of people crucified upside down and limbs cut off True. and stuff. True. And you're left wondering, what the fuck was that? And you uh-huh. don't find out till way later in the and film. And they filmed that. <laughs> <laughs> Rennie Harlan, if you guys don't know, he's done a lot of stuff. He directed Cliffhanger. He directed The Long Kiss Goodnight. He directed Die Hard 2, famously the only diehard of the first three that you shouldn't watch. He directed Deep Blue Sea, deepest, bluest. My hat is like a shark's fin. Someday we'll have to do that one. <laughs> but famously, he directed Cutthroat Island, which is one of the biggest Hollywood flops in history. And yet he still was allowed to make movies. <laughs> uh, but it's it's a huge production. Like, they blew shit up and, like... Cutthroat Island was. And so you can see kind of elements of that in this. These sets are gigantic. You know, there's the archaeological dig set that's like, Jesus Christ. Like, that's pretty big. 
and elaborate. And how much did that fucking cost? And keep in mind, they'd already filmed the movie in its entirety before Rennie Harlan even signed on. Like, Jesus. (laughs) But no, don't watch it. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2004's Exorcist. The beginning. Father Marin. How do you know my name? sent here to search for the origin of a powerful evil. This place, it's cursed. You ever seen anything like it? It's a church. Churches were built to exalt heaven. But this, the weapons are pointing downward. This is the spot where Lucifer fell. It's an ancient temple where they used to conduct human sacrifices. Do something like this. He's coming for you. Hear my cry. Do not abandon me now. God is not here today. By the sign of this holy cross. Kelsey, can you get us started? How does Exorcist, colon, The Beginning, begin? During the Crusades. It does! Which Crusades? Eh, you know, the Crusades. Somewhere in there. (laughs) This priest guy, like, finds the head of Pazuzu, the little statue thing, and... You know, the one from the original movie? Yes, and then the camera pans out, and we see all these... Tons and tons of dead soldiers, and a lot of them have been... Upside down crucified? Yes, and it's not really clear. I mean, I guess it's supposed to be the Pazuzu did that, right? Yeah, so we'll find out later that what really happened here is that because of where they are, this location is important. It gives off an evil aura. It's where Pazuzu comes from. Like, it's his home, I guess you could say. It's where the devil fell well, to Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Are we not going to skip through things? Okay, you're right. You're right. Yes. It's where Lucifer fell. When he fell to Earth, after he fell from heaven, this location is where he fell. So, whenever it, it like, sort of breeds conflict and animosity to the people that are there. And whenever there's two forces that are there, they end up fighting and then eventually they fight amongst themselves and then it's just all out chaos. And then somebody went through the effort of creating hundreds of crucifixes and then crucifying all these people upside down. It doesn't exactly strike me as the actions of somebody who's behaving irrationally and with uh, aggression. You know what I mean? Like it takes time and effort to do this. Yes, it does. But still, that's what we're supposed to have taken from this. <laughs> Cut to 1949 Cairo, Egypt. Kelsey's been there. I have been there. I have not been there. Yes. 
and we see Stellan Skarsgård. What? This is a big surprise. I wasn't, I, w- I didn't know that he was Marin. Pennywise's father, Stellan Skarsgård? Yes. So he ends up giving money to a kid who is just selling him junk. And this guy walks in and he's like, you shouldn't give them stuff. It's like feeding a pigeon. Who this guy is, where he comes from, is never really explained. The next time we see him, they're by the Vatican, so I guess maybe he's part of the Catholic Church. He says that there's a rare object in this temple found in Africa, and Skarsgård is like, what? That doesn't make any sense. That would be way before Christianity ever made it to Yeah, it was in the 5th century, and so Christianity just hadn't made it that far. And he's like... Look, I think you can do this, so here's some money. And he's like, you think I'm a... Well, first he says, I think you can get it. And he's like, you think I'm a thief. And then he gives him money, and he's like, oh, it's worse. You think I'm a whore. And he's like, yeah, but you're going to do it. And he's like, yeah, I will. (laughs) Yeah, fine. Which is nothing... I mean, like, this is... I get that, like, it's supposed to be a broken Marin because of (laughs) Nazi bullshit. I understand that. But it's not the Marin that you know. At all. No. He's a completely different character. He goes from being this kindly old, philosophical, heavy in his beliefs priest to this broken man who will make out with chicks and can sometimes be a total dick for no reason. Yeah. But, I mean, something really bad happened to him to break his faith, Kelsey. It's true. I think I've lost my faith, Tom. (laughs) Always. Every exorcism movie. (laughs) I think I've lost my faith, Tom. But he tells him that there's a mythical demon that they believe is there, or whatever. So, he's gotta go. But the scene ends with a baby crying, and then everybody turns and looks at this woman? As if the baby's been upset by the presence of this demon artifact. And then we get some Hellraiser dialogue, and it's like... It was always yours. And you're like, what? (laughs) So what we actually get, the physical thing that we get here is like a cloth wrapping of this Pazuzu figurine head thing. And it's aged and encrusted up so much that it still holds the shape of the figurine still. So you can see exactly what it was wrapping. Uh, But obviously the figurine's been lost and that's what Marin is supposed to find. Yeah. And he, he says, I'll take it. He says, you, or he, like, I don't know, or whatever. He goes, you already have, just yeah, like uh-huh. in Hellraiser. What makes you think it's in a church in Africa? Well, Major Granville in Nairobi is in charge of the dig. He's been persuaded to let you join it. You're assuming that I would say yes. You already have. So they go, he goes to this church in Africa that should not be there, and he sees all the, on the drive to the temple, he sees these tons of uh, crosses, a grave, a grave site, and he's like, what the fuck happened? And he goes, oh, 50 years ago, the plague hit us really bad. Everyone died. Everyone died. Which, of course, leaves the question, who buried the bodies? Exactly. Then we get to meet... The two people that he's going to work with. I'm not quite sure who the guy from uh, Snatch is supposed to even be. He's like the head of the dig site, I guess. Yes. Yeah. So that's Alan Ford. Of course, yeah, we know him. He's Bricktop and Snatch. He was also in An American Werewolf in London. As way, who? way back when he was the taxi driver. Oh. But so he's talking to 
the main woman. Isabella Skorupko, who is Sarah. She's a doctor on site. You know her from GoldenEye. She's Natalia, the one, if you ever played the game, the one you have to escort. It's really fucking annoying. <laughs> she was also in Reign of Fire, which, do you think we'll ever watch Reign of Fire on the show? I don't know, maybe. It's okay. not really a horror, it's more of an That's action. what I'm saying, yeah, but it's like, you know, it's, I Dragons. don't know. Dragons. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. But so, he is very interested in her, and she is very not interested in him, because he... He's got all kinds of weird shit on his face, which will get worse mm-hmm. as the as Pazuzu becomes more and more powerful, powerful. Yeah, which is never explained in this movie, guys. Pazuzu is able to take on whoever he wants at whatever time. Yeah, it is nothing like the Pazuzu that we met in the first Exorcist, who can only take on one person at a time, and it takes time and energy to do so. Yeah. In here, he can just go from person to person. And it's funny because they will talk about the fact that he is like the god of the of the winged creatures. Yeah. But they won't get into locusts. Right. They don't even mention locusts. Not once. But obviously they get it from that. I mean, fuck, his name is Pazuzu. They didn't name him Pazuzu until the heretic. So obviously the heretic is canon. Yeah. And they don't go into any of the plot elements from The Heretic. I mean, they like I said, they do make him of winged creatures, but that means, like, crows. Yeah. And stuff. But he also is apparently the god of hyenas. Yeah. But I think the point is, is that there's an evil influence around. One of these characters is actually possessed, but because of this location, Pazuzu's influence is great. So I don't think necessarily that Pazuzu is hopping from person to person. It's just that people are more subjected to his influence. Father Marin also finds out that no one of the Turkana, the people who live in Africa, uh-huh. or in this area, in this area of, uh, yeah, uh-huh. Africa, they will not go into the church because they believe that there are evil spirits oh, in there. Let's explain. This is an archaeological dig. They're excavating a site. They found the dome of a church. The excavation is digging up this church from being buried. And all that's been revealed at this time is the dome. And you can go into the church through this roof. But none of the villagers will go in there. They refuse. We also haven't mentioned the fact that Father Marin is not really Father Marin right now. He's telling everyone he's not a priest. Yes. He's He's quit. Yes. Now he's just an archaeologist. Uh Which... It's not, I don't, I don't, I, I think it's fine. Doesn't the church pay for your schooling? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so he's just like, thanks for the degree. Yeah. <laughs> See you later, bye. <laughs> but so he's introduced to this family, a father and two sons. And he's told, we are Christians. And what is the little, the youngest boy's name? Joseph? Is Joseph, it? yeah. So Amekwi is the name of the father and Amekwi, who is so proud of being Christian, He has two children, Joseph and James, obviously biblical names. And then there's another person whose name is Chuma, who's Marin's guide. He's basically his right-hand man throughout this movie. But yeah, so when Marin sees the church, he's like, it's it's in such pristine condition. He's like, it's almost like it was buried as soon as it was created. Yeah, it, it hasn't been aged through time or whatever. It's been protected by all this dirt. 
Yeah, what'd they do? Did they just build it and bury it? What the fuck? This doesn't even make any sense. And they and he that's when he notices that there are hyenas everywhere, and he's like, "What the fuck? It's daytime." And they're like, "Yeah, we don't know." <laughs> Ever since we started the dig, they've been coming out at all hours. <laughs> and while he is investigating, one of the Turkana will have a seizure, and he will pretty much blame it on Father Marin. Yeah. And Marin's like, "I wasn't doing shit. I wasn't even near him when it <laughs> happened." Can we talk about Marin's first name? I think this might be the first time we get... Do we get his first name in the original movie? I'm sure we do. It's just a passing reference or whatever. But they say it a few times in this movie. It's Lancaster. Yes. Not Lancaster, but Lancaster. L-A-N-K-E-S-T-E-R. Yeah. It's an interesting name. That's his first That's name? That's his first name, yes. Father Lancaster Marin. Mm. Meanwhile, they try to make... Okay, if you remember the original Exorcist... I forget even who gives it to her. Somebody gives Reagan yeah. a St. Joseph medal. And when I was younger, I used to think that that was, that was what caused oh. Pazuzu to show up. Uh-huh. Now that I'm an adult and I've seen it so many times, I know that's not the case. But it is a weird element of the first film that feels random. Yeah. And then they bring it up here. And it's the guy from Jeffries. Snatch. Jeffries is his name. Gives it to the Sarah. lady from Goldeneye. <laughs> Sarah. And it's like supposed to have some sort of evil power. And I'm just sitting here like, but wait no, a minute. I think it's supposed this to be. This has always been a red herring. It's supposed to be a, just a creepy affection gift from somebody whose affection you don't want. But it's the thing that Reagan gets in the yes. original film. I think it's just supposed to be a callback and it's a very poorly implemented one. It, yeah, it's weird. and It doesn't make any sense. Is that supposed to be how she gets possessed? Because she's going to get possessed. Yeah, so she is actually the one that is possessed. They, we will think that it's Joseph. Well, because but that's what I'm saying. I'm pretty sure he can go from person to person. But remember how he says it's not Joseph, it's Sarah. Right, but Joseph will do things throughout the film that don't make any sense unless he's possessed. I, yeah, but every time it happens, like when he's shaking on the bed and everything like that, that's when Sarah's there. She's not there when the hyenas are there attacking his brother. Right, but... She wasn't there when the fucking Crusaders were there either. There is this evil influence, and I think there's a difference between the influence and the possession. Right, but then why wouldn't the hyenas also attack Joseph in that moment? It's a very good question that I don't know the answer to. I think it's I think it's supposed to – it's designed to make the audience think that Joseph is the one that's possessed. It's a, a feint. It is a red herring. But – they just thought only so far as, oh, we'll make people think that it's Joseph, but it won't really turn out to be Joseph. And then they don't they didn't think to go back and explain how all this stuff then happened if it's not really Joseph. Those are the worst kind of red herrings where it's like, oh, all the evidence points to this thing. And then you find out it's this other thing. OK, then explain to me why all the evidence pointed to that first thing. Nope, we didn't even fucking bother. That's a lazy red herring. And that's exactly what Joseph is. They try to explain it away by the implication that, well, Sarah's around Joseph all the time, but only once he gets sick. Mm-hmm. Before that, nope. Mm-hmm. So he goes down into the church using a rope ladder, 
And even Chuma won't go deeper into it Yeah, than he that. just goes down the ladder and stays down there at the bottom of the ladder. To which Marin will be like, oh, so you're as superstitious as they are. He's like, I'm not superstitious, I'm just smart. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't introduced James Darcy yet, Casey. Oh, the other priest? Yeah, who Father I Francis, who... Who I thought was going to be evil the whole time and wasn't. Yeah, no, he's totally legit. He's totally a fine dude. He tries to save the day at one point, uh, but he goes down there as well. And so Chuma standing at the ladder being all scared, which rightfully so, while Francis and Marin are, are exploring around the church. And what do they find? Well, Francis sort of backs into an upside down cross, an upside down crucifix. It has Jesus on the cross and... Marin notices where the cross used to be, so it had been torn off and then suspended with a chain from the ceiling upside down. To which Marin is like, okay, I need to talk to the person who has the inventory, because clearly this place has been uh, vandalized and yeah. we need to know what's gone missing. Yeah. The other priest tells him, oh, you can't talk to that guy. And he's like, why not? He's like, well, he went crazy. <laughs> That's Bessian is his name. That night, we're going to get the first, like, temptation moment between Marin and Sarah. You find out that Sarah comes from a German family who was persecuted by the Nazis for helping a Jewish family and were sent to the camps. Now, I'm not going to claim that nobody was ever sent to the camps for helping the Jewish people, but I will tell you this. I, I mean, I've taught a lot of Anne Frank and stuff, and... Based on my research, not a lot of German people were sent to the camps. I mean, you had to do some really messed up stuff. Like, it, usually if you got caught, you were sent to prison. Mm -hmm. Like, regular German prison. <laughs> but it's very possible that it happened. Okay, the way they treat the concept of Nazis to add immediate gravitas to the proceedings here, again, feels very exploitative. Like, oh, she get they they get the the instant emotion of her having the tattooed number on her arm, but no wait, she's not a Jew, she is Christian. You know, oh, she still gets to be Christian. It's just like they're trying to pull on all that iconography of evil Nazis and persecuted people without actually representing any of them. Like that's like the concept of Judaism it just is not fucking addressed in this movie at all, and yet they pull on Nazis quite a bit. Yes. And it feels like, mm, I don't know about this. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but also, we get to see the other priest, so not Marin, but the other guy, and he's very distressed because his cross keeps turning, and I'm like, oh, the conjuring. Oh. Yeah. All right. <laughs> this was before that. At some point, Marin will have, throughout the film, Marin will have these memories, and we only get a little bit at a time. But let's just tell the whole story right now. Uh, well, the first time it happens, we, we hear the God is not here today, priest, and then time stops, which was a weird moment. I think because that's the, that's sort of the linchpin moment in why Marin is the way that he is. So they're emphasizing that. So basically, they took the story from Sophie's Choice. Yes. And they put it on Marin, and he had to pick 10 people to die out of a group of Jewish people. Oh, it's a super Sophie's Choice. Yes. Like, again, a little exploitative. A little bit. So, yes, Father Marin, who is a priest, 
has to choose 10 people to die or the Nazis are going to kill little children right in front of him. Like, and I know also, that I know the Nazis did really awful, terrible, 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 terrible things. But do you believe that this is a reality that would have happened on the streets? That they would have just killed Christian children because a priest didn't choose 10 random Christian people to they're die. They're not Christian. They're Jewish. Are they? I assume so. Yeah, what? Movie doesn't fucking say they apply heavily that they're Christian because they're with the priest. They don't explain why they've all gathered outside of the no, church. They don't. They don't give us fucking anything. But they do get us shooting, both, I think, two different kids in the head. And we do get a, a lot of shots of a little girl. And I'm like, this feels very much like uh -huh. Schindler's List. Like, I'm, I'm shocked they didn't put her in a red coat. Right. Yeah. And so Marin has to point out individuals that he once killed and they are killed. And he tries to pick out the older men, you know, as if you're going to do it, that's what Marin chose. And it sort of breaks Marin when the Nazi dude is like, God is not here right now or whatever it is that he says. God is not here today, please. And that sort of breaks Marin. He's like, well, well fuck if God isn't here in my moment of most dire need, then what the fuck do I need God for? And so that's why he sort of loses his faith, Tom. That night is when Joseph is going to have his red herring moment. His brother is playing with, with a, a dig thing that Marin gave to Joseph. Yeah. He's like, Marin gave it to me. And he's like, ha you can't have it. And then the hyenas show up and they just, they kill the mm -hmm. brother and they leave Joseph behind and you're like, okay, so Joseph is evil. But yeah, like Chris says, that's not true. He's not. And they never bring it up again. Which is frustrating because the movie shows you that scene, the brother, James, picking on Joseph, Joseph getting upset, and then hyenas come in and tear James apart, and Joseph is not even looked at. They make a point of this, and then the movie's like, haha, you thought it was Joseph. No, it was Joseph. And then you just changed things arbitrarily so you could have a twist. What a twist. So Marin goes to the asylum to talk to... Bessian. Bessian, who we're going to find out later. Is Sarah's husband? Sarah's husband. Yeah. This scene is real bad, guys. He goes into this, like, he's walking through this asylum. The door swings open and he just walks in. And it smells bad, and then the door shuts behind him, and the guy doesn't even have to look behind him and knows who it is. When he turns to finally show what he looks like, he has a swastika carved into his chest. This only serves to upset Marin. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it makes no sense. Yep. So it's just Pazuzu fucking with Marin. But why is Pazuzu fucking with Marin right now? Because Marin poses no threat at the moment. Right. All he's doing in any way is motivating Marin. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And so this Bessian guy who is not the same. I, I thought for a minute there, I was like, wait a minute. Are we finding out that this Bessian guy is that Nazi that killed the kids? No, he's not. But he does, like, say the things that that dude said and speaks with his voice and everything. And that's Pazuzu causing that to happen. And, and then he, like, cuts his own throat. Yes. Kills himself. And then Filch shows up. <laughs> yes. Who is apparently the priest there. Yes. And he's like, 
Now he says a bunch of shit that Father Marin will say in the original Exorcist, which bothered me. Oh, this is where he got it from. Oh, this is where Han Solo got his gun. You know, that sort of shit. Mm -hmm. Like, fucking stop it, people, with these prequel bullshit things. Yeah, he says, you must be careful. He is the father of lies. Only your faith can save you. Like, all the same stuff that Marin says in The Exorcist. And you're just like, way to, like, make a character that we all really liked in the original film. Way to make him not seem original at all. Right. Cool uh movie. (laughs) He just got that shit from some other random dude. Then we get this whole dream sequence for Sarah. The hyenas come in. Joseph's petting the hyenas. And I'm just like, oh, my God, this movie is so slow. Here's what I wrote around this time. I said, there is absolutely no reason this movie needs to be this long. Exactly. And then I wrote, although I don't see how anyone could say it's as bad as Heretic. I don't know. How do you feel about that, Kelsey? No, I totally agree. Okay, okay. This movie, at the very least, guys, there's some really good acting going on yeah, in Yeah, and there's some fascinating stuff. It's just not a good movie. It's boring, it's long, it's slow, but then the movie will do a 180, and all of a sudden it'll just be like, death, 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 and you're just like, oh, uh-huh. okay. The this movie person's com- head's gonna explode, and, the movie and then that person's changed gonna- out yes. of nowhere. Oh, I'll talk about why that is. And when she wakes up from this dream- the head of the dig site, what's his name? Jeffries. Is in her bed and is mad because he found the little Joseph necklace that he gave to her earlier. She had thrown it away. Yeah, and she's like, no, I didn't. And he's like, do I repulse you that much? And he's very repulsive in this moment. We should say, though, is that the whole thing with Jeffries sort of does hide the fact that this is a hint about Sarah. She didn't throw it away because she doesn't like Jeffries. That would be incredibly rude. She threw it away because it's a religious symbol and she's possessed by Pazuzu right now. <laughs> yeah. So there's a little bit of a hint right here, which is kind of clever, but it's completely overshadowed by this Jeffries subplot. Yes. And then I do we even see how that scene ends? Does he just run away? Because he's so mad? I don't remember. Or does she hit him? Probably. He ends up going to the bar and breaking. Yeah, he leaves. I don't know why. I don't know if she hits him. I don't know if it happens in the edit or what. It it doesn't matter. Anyway, Father Marin will come across her standing in the room with Joseph. And she's very confused. She's just like, he should have recovered by now. I don't know what's wrong with Joseph anymore. And this is when Marin will succumb to temptation and will kiss possessed lady and blood will flow within Joseph. Like the blood starts going in the water thing that he's hooked up to. I don't know. I don't even know how that works. Like I'm not a doctor. All I know is suddenly there's blood in his packet of water. Well, is, it might be a blood transfusion. I think it's supposed to be blood. No, it's not. Oh, okay. It, it turns into oh, blood. Oh, okay. But I don't know what it's even supposed to do. Like, it's almost just like, hey, we want something creepy to happen. There's a lot of blood. Even at one point, Sarah starts freaking out because she starts bleeding from, you know, her downstairs area a lot. And... Before Marin can even say anything about that, like, well, <laughs> she goes, there's nothing there to bleed. 
Because apparently, when she was in the concentration camp, they gave her a hysterectomy. See what I mean when I say it's, like, super fucking exploitative? And, like, why would they have given a Christian a hysterectomy? If she's there for her for her personal crimes, not her crimes of being like the disabled or the Jewish or, you know, just like those people that are that are criminals just by existing. Why would they prevent her from reproducing? You know what I mean? Not that there's a great reason that they would prevent anyone else. But I mean, like her crime is not a crime of being. It's not a crime of existence. So why would they have ever done that to her? It doesn't make any sense. Whatever. Maybe somebody's going to come out and say that, oh, no, here's a record that they did that to anyone who was, you know, whatever. That may be the case. I just don't know enough about it. Either way. They're just trying to get drama out of it. And, oh, remember Nazis? The Holocaust sucked, right? (laughs) Instant drama. Yes. The bed shakes. The bed moves. And then there's some birds eating some dead birds. I don't know how that scene ends. Because the next thing I have written down is him going down into the church. Uh, And this is when he will find that, oh, there's this long tunnel that I can go down. And while he's doing that, a Turkana woman is giving birth. And that baby will come out as a larva-infested baby. It couldn't just be a stillborn. It's stillborn, and it's covered in maggots. Which doesn't make any sense, except for the fact that I guess Pazuzu got inside Uh of it. I don't know. And as... Oh, my God. As Met Marin is going down into this hole, we will see a CGI version of Pazuzu's face. And I'm sorry, it's A, not nearly as noticeable as the one from the original film, and B, it's not nearly as fucking cool. Uh Uh-huh. Listen, Kelsey's a little bit upset about the witch's trailer right now (laughs) and the terrible CGI that's in that movie. But so, Marin is walking through the darkness. He almost falls to his death, but he doesn't. We see a billion flies, which again, creatures, winged creatures, creatures, but uh couldn't be locusts. Uh It couldn't be locusts. We cut back to Sarah, who notices that Joseph is running around all of a sudden. And that doesn't concern her all. She's just like, Joseph? (laughs) I'm not freaking out that you're (laughs) randomly okay, Joseph? And she's carrying this candle around with this fake ass wax. Like it couldn't uh-huh. it couldn't have looked any more yeah. fake. This is the scene where she starts bleeding at the end of it, right? Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. And we get a jump scare here. She's like checking in on Joseph, and then the lights come on and the music comes on, and you're just like, really, movie? You needed that jump scare here? Mm-hmm. Oh my. And yeah, that's when she does the bleeding. Oh God. That's the next day is when the other priest will be like, uh, Marin, you better come with me because they have found Jeffries. The other priest thinks that Francis. the Turkana killed Jeffries in this horrible mutilating way uh-huh. because the baby was born stillborn. And so they blame it on the white people for digging up this this place. This is when Marin's like, I don't have time for this bullshit. Who buried all those people? <laughs> That's when the Turkana are like, no, you need to get the fuck out of here. We don't want you people here. And he approaches this head Turkana guy and he's like, what happened? And he's like, he, Chuma told you there was a plague. There was no plague. 
it's all because of the evil forces that happened. Mm-hmm. And Marin's like, explain yourself. And he's like, I don't have to. Look around you. It's happening again. Uh-huh. So Marin can't get over this graveyard. And he goes in the middle of the night to dig up the dead. But when he does, he finds no one there. Yeah. He digs up three graves and there's no one in there. Meanwhile, the Turkana have decided that Joseph needs to go. Led by Amekwi. So Joseph wakes up in bed in this hospital facility and Amekwi is standing above him, his father, and says that he's sorry. And then all these Turkana in face paint and other sort of uh, ritualistic regalia, basically they're going to kill him. And I really hope that this is based on real right. rites of passage or rites, ritual rites, because if uh-huh. it's not, then it's fucked. I have no idea. And no, I'm not going to do a bunch of research on the Turkana, but I hope it's based in reality. And it's not just like, hey, you know, people in Africa do some weird shit. Exactly. Yeah. And so Sarah is here and she tries to stop it, but they won't let her. And then the bed shakes and then all the Turkana start, like, breaking. Like, their legs break and shit like that. Just, like, magically. And they're forced to run away. And this is where we go, oh, man, Joseph is absolutely possessed. But no, it's actually Sarah. Yes. And I guess Pazuzu will do whatever Sarah wants him to do in the moment. Right. Because Sarah's like, I don't want this kid to die. So Pazuzu's like, cool. Like, why wouldn't Pazuzu <laughs> be happy with a kid dying? I don't know. Yeah. I do not know. While Marin has been digging up these graves, the hyenas have been swarming him, but they don't attack him. Yeah. What? Why? It's supposed to be scary. So dumb. This movie is so dumb. At some point, Marin will get very mad and the scene will just be way over the top. And this is when I wrote, oh, God, the story is terrible. Ooh, the acting is terrible in this scene. Why did they suddenly take a reserved quiet man and turn him into this total asshole. <laughs> this is when we find out that's where Lucifer fell. But it still doesn't... It, they never explain why there's nobody in the graves. You're right. It's just kind of forgotten about. You're right. They do explain why... So, Marin asks, if everyone died, who buried the bodies? Marin does ask that question. Yeah. It's unimportant because there aren't any bodies. But I think the church did. Isn't that what we find out? Because the people here aren't Christian. And yet there are crosses over the graves. I think it's the church that came in and tried to like sanctify the grounds. But I don't remember. It's something stupid like that. But the point is it does not fucking matter because the movie really doesn't care. They just wanted something to sound good. Who buried the bodies? And didn't want to actually think about what an interesting solution to that would be. You didn't move the head. That's what I was trying to evoke. (laughs) You just moved the headstones. You didn't move the bodies. Uh, (laughs) But meanwhile, the British officers have been called in because the head of their dig site got killed. Yeah, I mean, the British are sort of running this whole thing. And they're allowing Marin to come in. And they're allowing the church to come in as guests. But... The British officer, the head officer, is not happy about what he finds. Uh-huh. And he decides that he's just going to start killing off people just like the Nazis did. Uh-huh. But and it's so- like, uh, hey, if they're going to cause riots, if they're going to prevent us from doing what we want to do, then we're going to use force. Yes. 
But so he just starts shooting people, which causes basically civil war to break out. Yes. Between the... Turkana and the British forces. Yes, and Chuma runs to Marin and begs Marin to save Joseph. Yeah. Because the Turkana are going to kill him. Meanwhile, that head British officer who you thought was going to become a part of the movie kills himself because Pazuzu has caused him to go insane. Yeah. And you're like, why? Uh, and the movie's like, no, we don't care. Throughout this <laughs> battle, you'll start to see gradually over time that instead of Turkana versus British, it becomes just people killing people. And the British start killing each other and the Turkana start killing each other. And it's just madness. All going on around what Marin is trying to do. So the other priest convinces Marin that the only safe place for Joseph is inside the church because that's the only place the Turkana won't go. Yeah. So they go in there. And they're going to perform a an exorcism on him in this church. This is around the time when you find out that Sarah is actually possessed. I think she kills Chuma. Well, this is also... I think she kills the other priest. This is also where we find out what, what Francis tells him. The reason Francis is there is because the Catholic Church sent him because they know there was a, a priest found in, in the Vatican's archives, found this one reference to this one church, the only reference to the church that exists. And what it says is that this is the place where Lucifer fell to earth and it's been corrupted. And in order to sanctify the site, they built a church there to make it a holy site. And then they buried it just so nobody could get there and, and, and really clamp down on this evil influence. And now that it's being dug up and we're just finding out about it, the, nobody in the church knew about it anymore. They sent Francis to investigate. And apparently they sent Marin too, because that dude that sent Marin works with the church, I guess. Yeah, we never find out. Yeah, they at the end of the movie, they're going to have coffee outside the Vatican. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, it's a Hellraiser thing. So, yes, Francis was sent by the Vatican to figure out if the stuff they found in that letter is actually true. So, yeah, anyway. But, yeah, Chuma dies. I think the other priest dies here. I don't know what happens to fucking Joseph, but at some point, Marin goes outside and all of a sudden there's a dust storm going on. And I love that he's not shielding his eyes whatsoever. He's uh -huh. just like, doo doo doo, walking through a sandstorm. He begs God, do not abandon me now. The CG gets in crazy bad. At some point, he fights Sarah, and he... The yeah, only Sarah way that appears at this point, and she's been Pazuzu-possessed with the face like you know from The Exorcist. Yeah, and all of a sudden... Oh, and we haven't mentioned that suddenly Pazuzu has the ability to make people, like, fly and, like, run around on the ceiling and uh -huh. shit. And, like, yeah, I know that she flew in The Exorcist once yeah. when they were performing the exorcism. And she drifted up off of the bed. She's not clambering around, you know, and disappearing Spider in monkey the shadows. And, yeah. Yeah. But so she spills all of his holy water or something, and he gets it from the dirt, and he gives himself the cross on his head. And the only way he can defeat her is by headbutting her and searing her with the holy water that he yeah, got from the dirt. Because he put the holy water into a cross on his forehead. Yeah. Uh -huh. So he, like, presses her head against his head, and it burns his... There's a jump scare of the little girl that they shot earlier from the Nazis... 
possessed Sarah will take him into a cave. So there's this moment where he's crawling through this tight little cave underneath it, and it's supposed to be claustrophobic, and he only has this one little light, and then all of a sudden, her face is right there in front of him. Yeah, and oh God, and then pulls him through, uh, and it's it seems to be a tunnel to hell. Maybe? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. At some point, they're on opposite ends of the this tunnel. Is, yes, thank you. It's so stupid. Okay, they needed to create some sort of timed tension. Like, uh-oh, danger's getting closer. But up to this point, they've been really close to each other, and then Sarah disappears. And so it's just Marin and Joseph standing at one end of this long tunnel. And then for no fucking reason whatsoever, Pazuzu-possessed Sarah appears at the far end of this tunnel and then just starts running towards him. Running. She is very fakely floating very oh, yes. quickly towards him. But like him. towards him so they can have this, oh my God, the fuse is getting at the end. The and, bomb's gonna explode. And he's shouting prayers at her and it's so fake and it looks so bad. And I wrote, dear Lord, there's so much bad to this film. And yet there's such, there's a little bit of good. There is a little really, bit of good. That really wants to get out, but there's just no way for it to survive this bullshit. And then she's like bleeding out of the back of so, okay. the head. So for whatever reason, he said enough uh, power of Christ compels you or whatever. That all of a sudden she like, as soon as she gets to him, she flies backwards and lands on the ground and then she's just fine. She's not Pazuzu possessed anymore. And then when he's like, oh, Sarah, you're alive. And then just blood gushing from the back of her head for no reason. (laughs) And then she dies. Sarah is dead. And so Marin has to carry Joseph out of this church. And the sandstorm has, there is a reason for the sandstorm. Buried the church again. And what does he lose in the sandstorm as well? As he's trying to take care of someone, I don't remember specifically who, he sets, and he has pockets, <laughs> but he sets this this Pazuzu figurine head down on the ground, and then it buries that too. And then he can't find it again. Which is why he'll find it in the new exorcist. Yes. And I guess that's what they're excavating in the new exorcist. And won't be like, holy shit. Oh, we didn't mention that when he's down in the the pit of the place, he does find that statue that we will see in the the other one, Mm -hmm. too. At least that one kind of makes sense, because in the original exorcist, the statue's not really there. It's like a memory. Yeah. So uh-huh. that makes more sense than him losing the the head and then finding it again. Right. So Francis is dead, Sarah is dead, the lieutenant dude is dead, Jeffries is dead. Uh Joseph is still alive, and so is Father Marin, and the church is buried again, and then we cut to Marin at a cafe in Rome with that weird dude who sent him on the mission in the first place. Yeah, and Marin's like, well, everybody's dead now. And the guy goes, but you found no. something, didn't you? No, that's not how it goes. He hands him that piece of cloth that's shaped like Pazuzu's head, and he says he didn't find it. And then the dude says, you found something, though, didn't you? I couldn't find what you were looking for. But you found something, didn't you? 
Like, that's what it is. faith. Yeah, as if that was the whole plan all along. We just need to get Marin back into his faith. That's all we really want. As if, ha-ha, we got exactly what we were planning. Really? Your plan was for everyone to die just so Marin could get his faith again? Yes. And then we see Marin walk up to a very fake Vatican. Oh, yeah. it's, It's really bad CG of him going back to the Vatican. But it it's this moment where he's like, oh, I'm not Mr. Marin anymore. Because he insisted he call him Mr. Marin. And the dude calls him Mr. Marin. And now he's like, it's Father Marin or whatever. I expected like a musical cue, like at the end of Mission Impossible or something. But no, didn't come. You just or maybe see him tubular walk. bells would start. Yes. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. No, we just get... Stellan Skarsgård as Father Marin walking, walking in front a of very fake Vatican. horrible CG as if he's really in the Vatican. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. It's a bad movie, guys. It's a really bad movie. It's not the worst movie. No, there's some, it's just bad. there's some good in it, but it's so buried by everything else. During the exorcism, I didn't talk about this when we were when we were talking about the exorcism, but I wrote well at the end of the movie. There's an exorcism. Well, I guess there needed to be an exorcism at some point. <laughs> it is called The Exorcist. Okay, so let's talk about the directors. John Frankenheimer, I said, he stepped down because he was dying. This happened one month before he actually died. Morgan Creek, who produced the movie, hired Paul Schrader to make the movie, and they gave him $30 million, I want to say, to make this movie. He acknowledged that the movie he gave them was not what they wanted. He knew it wasn't what they wanted. What they wanted was a lot of bloody violence and gore. For some reason, Morgan Creek really wanted this Exorcist movie to be gory. Well, it's because, think about it. What do you remember the most about the original Exorcism? What's the first thing that comes to mind? The gross-out shit, right? Her vomiting on everyone, her face. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Right, but it's not heads exploding. Right, no, I know. My point is, people who don't understand the genre. Yes. They think back to the the exorcist and they're like, you know what I remember? I remember gross shit. That's what the people want. 100%. And he doesn't understand at all why the movie worked. Yes, I agree. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. And then I think about it for two more seconds and I remember, oh, all the other reasons Mm -hmm. why it's a good movie. So... They were like, fuck you, and they fired him <laughs> after he spent $30 million making this movie. Good and, for him. And so they they hired Rennie Harlan to do what they wanted, and that's exactly what he did. He made the movie that they wanted, but, you know, he made, he made, an, he made a bad movie, but it wasn't like... So are you saying that none of the original film is in this? 90% of the film was reshot, including completely recasting multiple characters and the story is different and apparently the one of the only people who came back was Stellan Skarsgård and basically Stellan Skarsgård made this movie twice and he made his movie for 50 million dollars so Morgan Creek spent about 80 million dollars making this movie and they made worldwide gross 78 million dollars so not quite broke even but I mean if you're going to lose money Especially if you had to reshoot a, a movie in its entirety, like they they did not the worst you could possibly do, I guess. So after this movie did not do well, 
And people were like, what the fuck is this? They rehired Paul Schrader and they gave him $35,000 to take the $30 million movie that he already made and finish the cut, right? Cut it together into a final movie. And that is what Dominion is. So it's Skarsgård again? Yes, it is. That is hilarious. So the second film is all about fucking Marin again. And yes. it's going to be Skarsgård again. Yes. That is so funny. So that is Dominion, prequel to The Exorcist, which everyone thinks is better so than So the question then one. is this... Does I mean, does do Dominion, they write it out of canon? I don't know. I haven't seen it. That, yeah, that's my next question. Does Dominion pretend like the beginning, never, beginning happened. never happened, or is it before the beginning, or is I, it yeah. after the beginning? I do not know. So funny. So about the two versions, Roger Ebert said, "I've seen both versions and much prefer Schrader's, and yet it must be said that Harlan did not prostitute himself in his version." I don't. Okay. William Peter Blatty said that watching The Exorcist the beginning was his, quote, most humiliating professional experience. He also hated the other movie we watched in this episode. Yeah, The, the Heretic, Heretic is way well. worse. However, he said of Dominion that it is a, quote, handsome, classy, elegant piece of work. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So... I just wonder. Really looking forward to the next ep Exorcist episode. <laughs> yeah, well, it's probably not going to be till next year. Yeah. I'm interested to see what they do. If the whole reason they didn't like it is because there's no violence, I'm curious as to what the movie is. Right. That they turned down and said, we don't want whatever this is. We want the gore. Like, it's so weird that that's your, like, primary concern for an Exorcist movie. Again, I'm telling you. It's because everyone's first thought is the, that stuff, and they don't think twice about it. No, I think they think it's creepy. I, that's not my first thought of it. Anyway, what do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? 11. <laughs> it's actually 10. <laughs> so Kelsey saw that it had 11 when we rented this. <laughs> it is 10 in actuality when you go to the site. It says a mediocre, gory horror film, nowhere near the quality of the 1973 original. I think at this point, it's the fourth Exorcist movie. You kind of have to abandon comparing it to the original. Yeah. But still. Well, but this one specifically kind of attacks the original. In a way, yeah. And they all seem to do that. So, Well, I'm, yeah, the second yeah. one does too. Metacritic of 30, a cinema score of a C. Do you think this is overrated or underrated? Maybe slightly underrated? I think it's underrated. I'm going to give it a 15. Okay. I was going to go much higher than that. I was going to give it a 30. Wow. I think we avoid the 30s and 40s sometimes. In, in between, say, 25 and 45. We stay away from that area. I think that, you know, just because something is bad enough to be lower than 40, we just jump immediately to, like, 15. And so I, I think there's some quality in this. So why? It is boringly long. Yes. And the gore comes out of fucking nowhere. And a lot is really stupid. Yes. But it's not an incompetent film. No. That's why I think it's it, it deserves more than a 10. I'm so, giving it 15. 
Oh, yeah, much more than 10. <laughs> I will never watch this again. I understand. And I won't ever watch it again either. But I can still recognize that there, there's a little bit more good here than there was in The Heretic, which which I gave a 15. And you gave a 5. <laughs> Movie is terrible. It really is. I will, I will tell everyone to never watch that film. <laughs> well, that is the first... Of our prequel, sequel, Exorcist episodes, we have one more left sometime in the future that I'm very, very excited for. So that's this week. What are we watching next week? Next week is a recommendation week. Cool. As well as a double feature. Let's hear it. We will be watching Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Whoop, whoop. And The Invasion. We are watching The Invasion. Yes, because this was recommended to us by Jeffrey and Anthony. Is Invasion the one with Nicole Kidman? It is. Okay. And James Bond. Okay. All right. But we're watching like... But we're watching the 1978 Yeah, not the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but, you know, the Invasion of the Body Snatchers. The one everyone knows. Yes. With Donald Sutherland. You know where he points and goes, oh! Yes. Yeah, that one. (laughs) 1978's Invasion of the Body Snatchers with Donald Sutherland and 2007's The Invasion with Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig. That's next week. Until then, you can always reach us at our website, podcemetery.com. Get a list of every movie we've ever covered in alphabetical order. Find a movie that you're interested in and click on the poster to get that episode and listen to it. That's a great way to review our back catalog. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Pod Cemetery. We do a lot of extra stuff on Twitter for every week. Usually while we're editing the episode, we'll come up with additional things we want to share with you guys. Follow us in your podcatcher of choice. Also, don't forget to rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there. Because these algorithms put more weight if you took the time to write something. Uh, So, five stars, fantastic. Thank you all very, very much. Five-star written review is even better than that. Even better than that, sharing us with your friends. And even better than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Get thee hence, Satan! This is the shit town right here. Sometimes when Lavinia looks at me, she reminds me of Ron Perlman from the Beauty and the Beast TV series. That's the shape of her face. There are cats that look a lot more like them, the ones that have the sort of longer faces. It's kind of remarkable how good a job they did on that, on this TV show from the 90s. Are we going to use the actual clip or the clip from the bunnies? Uh, My clip from the bunnies is way better. (laughs) I think I've lost my faith, Tom.